Well, uh, I am truly honored to uh, have this opportunity. Uh, the fact that you all allowed me to come up here says that you're pretty trusting. Uh, and uh, got some extra family here today, and, and uh, they're probably here to uh, see if I've come up with any new jokes. Uh, and when you see them roll their eyes, you, you realize probably not. Uh, because we, uh, we've not been fellowshipping here for, for that long, I thought perhaps before I get into the message, I might just share a few of the significant things that uh, have happened in our lives and some of the significant people that have uh, uh, really affected you know, our walk. Um, and uh, maybe you can get an idea of where we're coming from and and uh, it might help you in, uh, in getting to know us a little bit better. Um, Christy and I both grew up in, in, uh, in Christian homes. Um, but uh, when, when I was in high school, uh, I worshipped a false god, um, that of uh, sports. And uh, particularly later in my high school career, I, I pretty much put everything into that without regard for much else. Uh, god had, you know, some other plans for me. Uh, because a uh, week before uh, our football season started, I broke my leg and missed the whole season. Uh, however, one day, as I was hobbling through the a la carte line, a little junior girl came up and offered to carry my tray, and uh, one thing led to another. And the next thing, I knew she was pregnant. <laughs> with Ben. <laughs> I did leave some stuff out, but, uh, uh, and we were married a few, few years later, and, and uh, uh, I, uh, uh, I went off to uh, KU after high school, and Christy eventually went to MU, and, and we stayed in contact, and, uh, but, uh, Christy grew up in uh, a well-known church, the Antioch Baptist Church. Uh, if you, some of you from the 70s can remember uh, that in a song, if, if you think back hard enough. And I grew up in a Methodist church. She, of course, knew the gospel. Uh, I, I really didn't, but uh, uh, I uh, met the most significant person I met really in my life was uh, Jesus Christ in, uh, in a fraternity house believe it or not, uh, and uh, just listening to some campus evangelists talk, you know, witness to my, my roommate. Uh, also, um, uh, while I was at, at KU in a fraternity house, I met a fellow by the name of Steve Iliff, some of you may know, uh, and I think it's an understatement to say that Steve had some, uh, a lot of impact on my life and, and just all the things that I learned from him. And... Uh, um, after uh, college, we got married, and, and I thought I was going to law school, but again, God had other plans, and I ended up going into the Marine Corps, and uh, uh, was there for a little under four years. And while in the, in the military, I stayed in contact with Steve, who was in the military station about 100 miles away from us in North Carolina, and some others, his brother and friends, and we all decided to move back to Topeka to start a Christian school. And... Um, and when we moved back here in about 1980, that's when I met the tall guy, Mike and his wife Kathy, 
Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and another family that's had an impact on our lives. Uh, was, I was in law school. We got the, launched the Christian school, and, and, uh, and we, our kids never went there. We homeschooled and have and, uh, been doing that for like 26 years now. Uh, uh, we also ended up at Topeka Bible Church uh, for a significant period of time, and, and there met significant people, uh, uh, including uh, Jim and Shirley Springer, uh, who had a great impact on our lives. Jim is an elder over at Southwest TBC now. Also, Jim and Marilyn Stewart, uh, who have since moved away. They're, they're older and, and just a godly couple as well. And Jim Stewart and I and some other men had an interest at TBC in, in small fellowship and family fellowship and that sort of thing. I think if Mike might remember, we actually had a, a family Sunday school where we, we had everybody come. We drug the kids in there and all had it together. And it, was, it was quite an experiment. And we, uh, uh, we tried that for a while and set off eventually to try to start something else, which never really worked. But been involved with the last eight or ten years in kind of small fellowship type, uh, type of ministry and, and approach. And that kind of leads us to here and, uh, and actually to the message. Um, I'm going to pass out, I'm going to try to pass out a, uh, a little handout. And I'm doing this for a couple of, well, a couple of things here. Sean, if you take that. And, thank you. And uh, really, there's, there's a handout, not because this is anything special, and certainly not because this is complicated. But fact is, I'm not a really good speaker, and I need something to keep your attention. And so maybe you've got to write a few things down that might keep you more on track. And, and in fact, I think it's, it's a good idea when Mike and some of the other men teach, you know, I, I try to keep track and take notes, and it's, we've actually had an opportunity at home to go over some of, the, um, uh, some of those things that we've learned during the lesson time. And so I'm hopeful that uh, we can get something out of this. Um, the other thing I want you to, to, to keep in mind is that please don't be offended by the title of the message. Um, it's actually a compliment, okay? But to start off here, in Romans 12 it says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Now, do you all remember... Uh, the, uh, uh, the little kind of a hand game that kids used to play went like this. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open it up and there's all the people. Okay? Well, there's a derivative to that. It's called here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open it up and there's no people. You know, it's kind of a sarcastic criticism of the church. And, well, has anybody asked, ever asked you, where is the First Baptist Church, or where is Lion and Lamb Church? Did, did you, like me, say, well, it's at uh, Seventh and Clay? Well, let me ask you this. Where will the Lion and Lamb Church be in four hours when the parking lot's empty? Doesn't that beg the question of what is the church? And as we grow in our Christian walk here, we as believers have to contend with some apparent contradictions sometimes. Because the saved are the church. Um, but we still talk, 
I included, still talk about going to church. And uh, I got to ask, did Christ die for a building? Thank you. Uh, Christians have come to think that activities, church activities, occur on Sunday morning, maybe Sunday or Wednesday evening. But we forget that, uh, you know, a a mom talking across the fence to her neighbor is a a church activity. Uh, A daughter uh, working at a crisis pregnancy center can be a church activity. Uh, Men helping build a house or, you know, kids playing with neighbors can be a church activity. Uh, we grow up thinking that we go to a sanctuary to worship when the Bible teaches us that our hearts are His sanctuary. Now, is this a real problem or just uh, you know, an abstract inconsistency? Uh, I would suggest to you that when the identity of the church is even subconsciously transferred from living people to inanimate buildings, then we're setting ourselves up for maybe some confusion at best, maybe even some apparent hypocrisy. Um, Because the church can become a place where we simply go to to be holy and give God his due and then go out and live the rest of our lives as usual. Um, And that flawed concept within our culture makes the church seem to the outsiders as a place for perfect people or more likely for those hypocrites to go and uh, feel good about themselves. And you'd say, of course, if they only knew us, they wouldn't say that. But then again, how can they think otherwise if they rarely see the church outside of the building? Um, To many unbelievers, the church may appear to be a clique or maybe a private social club akin to the Shriners or the Masons, except that those organizations try to help handicapped kids, whereas the church simply sings hymns and does other weird stuff, you know, uh, which they don't understand. Um, it's, it's largely outside their, their perspective, their consciousness as to what's going on, and, and so they... I think that's a problem in our culture, that they don't see the church operating as much as they should. So what is a biblical approach to the definition of church? And believe me, we're not going to cover all that today, thankfully. But I would like to focus in on one aspect. Um, And there's a couple of analogies that you see in Scripture. Um, And I'm going to have some some passages read here that will get us started on our first one as the The church is a spiritual building of living stones. And Jonathan is going to read 1 Peter 2, 1 through 6. If you'd read out loud, Jonathan, so everybody can hear you, I'd appreciate it. Okay, 
And next, um, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Bryce? Scared you, didn't I, Bertel? <laughs> We all struggle with the King James, don't worry. <laughs> Look at the terms that the apostles use, okay? Look at it. Uh, living stone, spiritual house, cornerstone, household of God, foundation, uh, holy temple, habitation, okay? Now, Kent, you just said we shouldn't consider the church building, and we ask the question, did Christ die for a building? Well, in one sense, he did. But it's by analogy, not reality. Uh, now, I uh, was trying to think of a way to illustrate this to you, so I conferred with my visual aids consultant. And after a lot of research on the passage and talking about this, uh, let's see here, Benjamin came up with this. All right. Now, this is a a uh, got a couple of walls here, and um, if you're ten or under, I want you to vote here. We've got one wall here with nice big blocks and all lined up. Another wall that's kind of mixed up. All right. And raise your hand if you would choose this wall. Okay. Got several. If you like this wall. All right, raise your hand if you would choose this wall. Okay, we've got a few of each, all right? All right, now, you engineers weren't supposed to vote. Let's see, <laughs> let's see which is stronger, okay? That's the difference. Now, why do you suppose that happened? Why do you suppose, look at this may not look as nice, certainly, but um, you notice the differences? Smaller blocks, but they're built on a strong foundation, which our passage just said is the apostles of the prophets, which I believe is the Word of God. Okay, It's got a cornerstone, chief cornerstone being Jesus Christ. So what does a cornerstone do? You know, you lay it down. And it sets the, the lines, the, perpen, the, the perpendicular lines for the rest of the building. It's got building blocks, uh, living stones, you and me. And then how is it constructed as opposed to this one? It is fitly framed together. Each of the building blocks integrates with other building blocks, overlaps the ones below and above. Okay. They're connected, as opposed to this one. Um, now, let's, uh, let's consider this one. I need to say a few words about um, the approach in a lot of churches today. Thank you, Kathy. Um, and believe me, I'm not being critical here. I'm just trying to caution. 
uh, because there are no churches that match this perfectly nor this perfectly. These are just gross analogies. Uh, but bricks like this one here make the strongest walls when they're interrelated, when they're integrated, just like people do, when they're linked together in love and common purpose. Um, built on a solid foundation of God's Word, guided by the chief cornerstone, uh, Jesus Christ. When those building blocks, those living stones, relate to one another beyond the walls of the church physical structure, then the world has something by which to judge the church as to what it should and, and, and is doing, in most cases, I believe. Now, one of the things we see in this model here is that uh, sometimes churches uh, in develop programs in order to attract people. Now, there's nothing wrong with programs. In fact, I hope to talk to people later on today at the, uh, after the uh, potluck about another program. Uh, it's not, not, not here to say that all programs are bad. But the caution is that when these groups, which are largely based upon interest or age or position in life, become the primary source for relationship, they lose contact with the rest of the body, or that, that, that can be a tendency. Um, and so, therefore, they're not as strong as a total body as one that's interrelated. Does that make sense? And so I think the caution is that we should be careful about those programs that stand alone with just one age group or one interest group or whatever, not just becoming a little church on its own. And, and a lot of times that's, that's what it is. I don't know the answer for larger churches because I don't know how you organize them. Other, uh, I do know, um, I was, some of you participated in the uh, Kansas Family Issues Forum, and uh, they're thinking about doing that in Kansas City and talking to some churches there, and I was blessed to hear a pastor of a large Bible church say that they were going to promote this with all of their groups because it is now their policy to do as many church activities as possible as whole families. Now, that's a large church going in the right direction, uh, and, I, uh, and I appreciate that. Um, but uh, what I'm concerned about is when, it, when the, uh, the identity of a church becomes a smorgasbord of programs. Programs sh- should not and cannot replace relationships if the body is to retain its biblical purpose. Um, instead, we should be a spiritual household of interdependent people. Now, let's go to our main passage here, which is uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, we're going to read this uh, step by step here and kind of make some comment on it as we go. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 12. For... As the body is one and has many members, and all members of that one body being members are one body, so also is Christ. This is kind of a summary verse, and I would suggest to you that we can summarize the remaining passage with the three words unity, diversity, and I'm going to use the word integrity. We'll get back to that. We saw the analogy earlier of the, of the building uh, of this right here. Now, Paul goes into a different analogy. Uh, and in 
verse 13, we see that the body is a unit. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit gives diverse gifts to diverse people. Uh, Jews, Gentiles, slave, free, lots of other categorizations we use now. Uh, But it is that same Holy Spirit that's the medium by which the diverse members are unified in one body. Now let's go on to the next passage, starting at 14. For by one body, excuse me, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear says, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased Him. For if there was one member, where would be the body? But now are there many members, yet but one body. So the body has many parts, no one of which is essential by itself, but each necessary to complement the others for a well-rounded whole. You know, for a body, you've got to have parts, don't you? Any part, any body. Christians have not only different but vital jobs to fulfill within the whole body. Can a body function without certain parts? Well, sure. Think of it. Uh, hands, foot, maybe even hearing. Uh, notice that Paul doesn't use body parts like brain or heart. He tells us that we all have a role. And therefore, nobody... Uh, well, if, if you lack a gift within the body, just like with your physical body, you compensate. Somebody else tries to step forward and, and, and perform that. But a body performs best and most effectively when it's got all of its parts working together. Pretty, pretty simple. Uh, no one should consider himself or herself less important within the body. How can we say that confidently? We'll look at verse 18. It tells us there that God has placed each of us within the body as it has pleased him. Now, if you've got a job within the body, this does not mean that you're stuck there in that pigeonhole forever. Okay? Now, some may feel called to do that. I remember Joyce Keyes taught elementary Sunday school at TBC for ages. As far as I know, she's still teaching. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay? Uh, with our, young, our oldest kids and she was amazing. Others, on the other hand, may see a need and serve and then feel like maybe they need to move on to something else. I think it's really not uh, something that uh, people look forward to have, eternal nursery duty. Okay? So if you feel called to serve in some way, you know, it may be God's call on you to look around and see where there are needs that are not being met or, you know, somebody needs a break. Uh, and I would also suggest that... If you need support, as Mike has mentioned, you know, people need to know it. Say something to, to people around you. Uh, you know, sometimes I think people walk away from the church bitter because nobody helped them. Because they just didn't know. 
Sometimes we, we're not as perceptive as we ought to be, but do that for us, please. But if you can serve, then look for needs not being met or where somebody needs a break or just get in and do it. I go way back with Bill Billen, and uh, he was musical over at TBC, and that's, what, 10, 12 years ago that we were last together. Uh, he's been here a shorter time than I have, and he's already plugged in. And then now he and Carla are doing this World Day of Prayer thing, and that's a perfect example of somebody who saw a need, had a, had a gift, and they're doing it. Um, uh, if you are already serving in a particular area, uh, my suggestion is that you be content but not complacent. Always be looking for other ways in which you can serve. Uh, or just people you can help. Uh, recently there was, uh, I remember, mention of somebody within this body that was blessed by somebody else who helped them with a serious car problem. Uh, and, and that's the kind of thing that really builds the body together. Let's go on to the next passage, the last passage here, starting in verse 21. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely, or New American Standard says unpresentable, less presentable parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely, or more high-profile parts, have no need, but God has tempered the body together having given more abundant honor to that part which lacks, that there should be no schism within the body. I must pause there. There's there's two points that stand out in this passage. And the first one is that one with a seemingly more important gift should never imagine that he or she can function alone. What good is a hand or a nose or a foot by themselves? Um... Unfortunately, this is what sometimes happens in some of the pastor-does-everything type churches um, where we don't have men who share in leadership and, and, and women serving in a variety of ways. Uh, you know, seen a number of pastors burn out in those situations. Um, and it's not biblical. But it happens because it's easier to, to pay the guy and let him do all the work. Um, but this goes on. It says, in fact, one who by the world standard, would have a lesser gift or lesser job should be given greater attention by those in the body. Now, as an example, I'm sure that all of you that know Mike and Kathy recognize that they're gifted people who serve in a variety of ways selflessly without expectation of reward or recognition. Um, and, uh, and I feel likewise. But I think that they would agree with me that Paul is saying that no uh, one person or group of higher profile members within the body should be emphasized over the others in less obvious service. In fact, the emphasis should be on those working behind the scenes. If anything, those serving in the less conspicuous ways, like the ladies who get together to pray, uh, those that set up the Lord's table, those who have the two through five-year-olds in Sunday school, especially those who have the two through five-year-olds, they should be given more attention, more honor. Why? 
Why? Well, precisely, I believe, because they're serving in humble obscurity. Uh, they are, therefore, worthy of more honor. Not according to the world standards, but according to God's word. It says in verse 24, the high-profile people, they don't have a need. But these people do, and they should be honored. And Paul says in verse 25, this is how we avoid division within the body. Um, Let me finish off the passage here in the middle of 25. But that the members should have the same care one for another, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Now, if we are living stones or even rocks of a spiritual house, what holds us together? Well, verse 25 says, care one for another. John 15 says, this is my commandment that you love one another. So the love of Christ is the glue that holds the body of Christ together. This love mortar, if you will, is not just an emotion, but rather an active component that moves us to action in support of one another and on behalf of one another. Um, I use the word integrity, from which we get integer and integral and such words like that. And usually integrity means moral soundness, but it also means wholeness or an unbroken state of something. And this first came to my attention in the Marine Corps where one of the things they drummed into us was the concept of keeping your unit integrity. Whether on the drill field, where you have to move as a unit in precision together. Rice knows a lot about that. Or on the battlefield, where you're not together as a tight unit. You're, you're dispersed. And if, you know, the guy's on the flanks, or the, the point man, or the guy in the rear, if they don't do their job you may all be dead. You look out for one another. You care for one another. Now, this is the kind of integrity or interdependence that I believe applies to the church as well. Um, Looking after one another, caring for one another, demonstrating love and empathy for one another because Christ first loved us. Um, Because of that integrity or interdependence, when one member suffer, we all suffer. And when one is honored, we should all be rejoicing. Uh, uh, Paul in in, uh, Ephesians 4 uh, in the NAV, NASV, puts it this way. We are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You know, when everybody participates and supports and encourages one another, you develop something. And maybe a negative example here. Uh, we are all benefited by government assistance, whether you've ever been on welfare or not. You know, think of the roads, the police, 
the military, the water, we all receive benefit. And we ought to be grateful because somebody's paying for that. However, the problem is, to whom do you show your gratitude? Kind of hard, isn't it? You know, when's the last time you wrote a letter to the water department thanking them for their service? Okay. On the other hand, within the body of Christ, when somebody helps you, not out of compulsion or taxation, but out of love, what do you feel about those other members? Does it not draw you together? And if you're the helper rather than the helpee, you know, and you, you, you help somebody and they're grateful for that, what does that do to you? Does it not draw you together? Um, each of us has needs. And sometimes we go through a season in life when, when our needs are so great, you know, we can't help anybody. We just need help. At other times, we, we group and we've got the capacity to help others. Um, I have a theory. Now, this isn't uh, based upon any specific scripture, just kind of general here. But I think most people are like me, that you have a basic need to be needed. And one of the ways that one can feel more a part of the body, bounded, bound together within the body, is to feel that you are needed. Uh, that, I believe, is what adds purpose to life, uh, to be needed by others. Uh, since our family has started fellowshipping here, uh, Mike has said some fairly complimentary things about us. And while I know those are genuine expressions on his part, uh, you know, I, uh, I hardly feel worthy of those comments because, you know, Christy and I have weaknesses and needs. Our children have weaknesses and needs, just like everybody else. Um, in response to those needs and weaknesses, we have already felt the love of the members of this body. We also feel loved and appreciated for whatever we can contribute. Being a part of a body that serves one another, that worships, and that reaches to those outside the body is very important to us, and we believe that Lion and the Lamb is doing just that. Um, the fact that um, you know, we're older, a little older, and, and have more kids than a lot of people <laughs> simply means that we, and especially I, have made a lot more mistakes than most people. And uh, we know that God is still doing a lot of chiseling in our lives. That's why I'm so thankful that I serve a Lord who loves me enough to give his son to die for me. Not only in spite of, but because of those weaknesses and blind spots. Another analogy that I picked up somewhere was the, the components of the cross. It's a horizontal beam resting on a vertical beam, right? And today, for the most part, we've been talking about that horizontal, that one-to-another type relationship. In a few moments, Joe's going to lead us in that vertical aspect. Um, the relationship between one another is not an unimportant topic within Scripture. But on that vertical beam rests all the sins of the whole world and God's love and forgiveness. Would you bow with me? Well, I'm going to read a passage 
that I believe stands at the juncture of that vertical and horizontal beam, and then we'll close in prayer. It's out of 1 Corinthians 10, where it says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Lord God, we give you the praise and honor. We just thank you, Lord, that you have drawn us together here uh, within this body. We pray, Lord, that you would enable us, Lord, to remain uh, interconnected, Lord, that we would love and support one another, that we would reach out to others and demonstrate the love of Christ to those around us, and that our worship would be a sweet savor to you. Thank you, Father, for this privilege you've given us now. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.